hey, let's, let's do this. I, I know it's Memorial Day weekend, which is, a, you know, which is so significant for us as a church with so many military families because we want to honor those who have, have paid the ultimate sacrifice. But we also like to, on, on these weekends, and just any weekend that just gives us focus to our military, we, just, we never want to miss that opportunity to say thank you to them. So if, if you wouldn't mind, if you're active military or reserves, any branch, could you just stand so we could say thank you today? Could you just do that? Come on. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your service. So, hey, if you know somebody in the military, this is a great weekend. Reach out to them. Thank them for what they do. The freedoms that we have that we enjoy because of the sacrifice that they're making. You, we cannot say it. We cannot say it enough. And so, uh, what an amazing worship set that we just went through, right? All right? Is it right? Is it just me? Oh, it's phenomenal. You can clap for that. Come on. So good. Powerful. Powerful. Just you know, it's. A little bit distracted. There's just people here tonight. Travis is here from Rochester. Come on, Travis. We got Pastor Randy from Deer Park Baptist Church. Come on, Pastor Randy. And then a roommate of mine from 25 years ago. I didn't know he was going to be here. I almost fainted when I saw him. We probably haven't seen each other for over 10 years. Ellis, it's great to have you here. Come on. We used to live in the inner city together, did street ministry together. We got old, Ellis. We got old, right? Back in the day. So good. So good. Hey, I just want to emphasize, too, about the ball game. You don't have to be a dad to go to that with us. You just got to be a guy, right? So if, you're, if you want to hang with us, Father's Day weekend, we're going to do an abbreviated service that night. We're just Our, our service, Father's Day weekend, that Saturday is going to be from 5 to 6 so we can get to the game. And uh, so I hope that you'll take the time to come out and hang out with us. So just want to say thank you, too, for letting us be at Williamsburg, for all the announcements that we were making last weekend about the changes at the Williamsburg campus. And I was so excited to hear about your enthusiasm to learn that Vanessa's going to be coming on staff as a pastor here at City Life. I know. So good. Lots of clapping tonight. So I, I know that I'm supposed to do the welcome weekend, and we might get to that a little bit. We, sh- we shall see. We'll get to that a little bit. But on, on Thursday night, God just began to, I need to grab this Bible here. On Thursday night, God just began to speak to me. We had a, a campus, uh, all church leadership team meeting, which we get together about once a quarter, all three campuses. And uh, we just had a powerful time together as leaders, praying for each other, sharing about what God was, is, is doing in our lives. And so, uh, and in that meeting, God just began to speak to me about, uh, about some thoughts about prayer. And, uh, and I didn't know what it was going to be for, right? I'm, you know, because then I'm praying, is this for a future sermon? We're in this sermon series on discipleship about practice and prayer as a pathway. So I didn't know if it was going to be a message that we were supposed to do this summer. But, but as, the more I began to pray between Thursday and, and even this morning, I just had such a strong sense that there's somebody here tonight and, and God is chasing you down. And, and you've been asking him some questions about prayer, and, and he wants to answer that question for you tonight. And so we're just going to kind of push the pause button. And I'm glad this is kind of happening on our welcome weekend because this is part of who we are. And this is part of what we do is that we believe that the Holy Spirit prompts and leads. And sometimes it's in planning weeks in advance, and sometimes it's just in the moment. And so I was thinking about, there, there's an amazing story. There's a slide that's going to pop up from back in. Don't those guys in the upper right look cold? I know. Yeah. Because in, in 1911, there was no L.L. Bean. Right? They didn't have that. 
They, they didn't have North Face in Columbia. They had animal skin. 19, animal skin, wool, that's, that's all they had. Nin, 1911, in, in 1911, there weren't too many places in the world that had yet to be undiscovered. And, and, and the, the gentleman, this, this team here in the upper right, this is the Norwegian team. There were two teams. There was a Norwegian team, and then there was a British team. The Norwegian team is this one on the red. Uh, that was uh, 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 Roald Amundsen, and then Scott, uh, a guy named Scott, uh, the British team, was, is the green one on the, uh, on the left there. And uh, the, the, the Norwegian team, he had raised money to, go, to be the first person to go to the North Pole. The problem with that is that somebody beat him to it in 1909. Right, and so he had raised money. He had put a team together. They had a they had a ship. They had this huge plan. And when he found out in 1909 that someone had beat him to the punch, as opposed to canceling his expedition, he continued on under the premise that they were going to go to the North Pole. Right? This was and and so back then, right there wasn't Facebook, and they didn't have all the media outlets that we have today. And so sometimes people claimed to have accomplished stuff, and then it would turn out they didn't. So, so, so Amundsen, what he said was, we don't know if they actually got there or not. So he continued to get, rally his crew. They actually set sail, and, and people paid into this, and all along he knew they weren't going to the North Pole. He did not tell the crew of his ship until they got to the last port where they would set sail for the South Pole. No one had ever gone to the South Pole before. Ernest Shackleton was one of the closest ones to ever get, which is an amazing story of leadership. Now, there was another team, a British team, that was setting sail for the South Pole right at the same time. And they kind of got there together, and this was their base camp. There at Ross Island, again, is the British team, and the Bay of Wales was the Norwegian team. And they were going to set out, and they were going to try to be the first one to get to the South Pole. They would have to be there for months because they had to learn how to work in the cold. They had to learn how to, to do the sled dog teams. They had ponies that would travel with them. They had to work out the plans because they would use these animals to a certain point, and then those animals would become food for them. And, 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 and one of the keys to not dying in this unforgiving land is they had to put supply depots along the route. So they're on the red and they're on the green. Both teams, as they were getting closer to the push to getting to the South Pole, they would travel out. They would be gone for weeks at a time, putting these supply depots out and then coming back because they were limited, right? They didn't have mechanized vehicles. They could only carry so much. The distance between the base camp and the South Pole was over 800 miles. The same distance from Scotland to Spain. And so all of these supply depots, where they would put them for the journey down and then also to be able to get back was a critical part. Everyone on the British team died on the journey home. Every single one. And they died 12 miles from the last supply depot that would have saved their lives. The one mistake of not putting them in the right place in the right way cost them their lives. Not only did it cost them their lives, but they were second getting there. They found out once they got there, right, what's this Norwegian flag doing here? So not only did they, 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 they make this return trip home that, that ended up in devastation, but they, they did not even have the honor of knowing that they had gotten there first. Now why am I sharing you that? 
Because when I was praying this week about this moment, I felt like God spoke to me for someone here that you've been asking about prayer. One of the most significant parts of prayer is that it becomes a spiritual supply depot for your future. Part of prayer, and why we're called to pray, is that you're investing in your future for places that you're going to get to where you need something in that moment that's going to help you keep going into your tomorrows. Let, let, me, let, let me read this. Listen to this. When the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray, and I think we could all agree that Jesus was an expert on prayer. Listen to what he says. He says, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. Or some translations render it, hallowed be your name. May, may your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Everything about this lesson that Jesus gives in the beginning of prayer is all about declaration. For, for some of you here tonight, maybe prayer has only been for you about supplication. Supplication is the word the Bible used when we, the part of prayer where we're asking. And Jesus gets to that, right? He says, give us today the food that we need or give us today our daily bread. Maybe you grew up in that. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Don't lead us into temptation. Rescue us from evil. Those are all the supplication parts of prayer. But when Jesus was teaching us to pray, he didn't start with supplication. He started with declaration. And the reason why he started with declarations is because Jesus understands this principle about this spiritual supply depot that prayer becomes for you. Now you might say, well, where do you get that concept of a spiritual supply depot? I'm going to tell you. Galatians 6, verse 7, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what is good for at just the right time. We will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Powerful. Now, this is a fill in the blank. Part of the Bible, which we talk about so often here. The, the, the application of this principle of reciprocity that Paul is trying to get the church of Galatia to understand has to do with finances, this idea of reciprocity. And maybe that's the only way that you've ever heard reciprocity taught. And if that's the case, then I'm sorry for that because that's just a part of the principle of reciprocity. The principle of reciprocity is an, an analogy that we understand through the agricultural world, the law of sowing and reaping. Reciprocity is part of the kingdom of heaven, and we're subject to it in this life. It can either be a consequence to you, or it can be a blessing. For, for some of us, we walk through hard times in life because we're reaping things that we've sown from our past. Sometimes we're walking through hard times in our life because we did not sow into our future what we needed to then so we would have what we need today. And part of what prayer is for us is making declaration. Steve didn't even know we were going to talk about this, right? I leaned back to him. I said, come on, that worship wrap up, he's going to be preaching here next week. I said, you should just use that all over again next week, right? It's so good. Because this is what we're talking about. The, these declarations that, is the, that are the beginning of the Lord's Prayer, it takes faith to believe these things. And Jesus is saying to you, and he's saying to me, you've got to live in a place 
every day of your life where you're making declarations of faith about your future, about God. I think you can do this for other people. And you're just sowing into your future and you're sowing into the future of other people and you're putting spiritual supply depots because you and I are going to be just like these two expeditions. We're going to get to places where life is hard. The question is, have you laid provision for yourself for what you need when you get there? When we're living life at base camp, everything's good. We got all the supplies we need. We've got a way of escape. There's, there's, there's help. And, and I think what we forget sometimes is, is that in life, life circumstances, it draws us away from that base camp. And we, and we find ourselves into places of need. We find ourselves in seasons of lack. And what we do with prayers today sows incredible things in our tomorrows. All right, we're in it now. Let's just keep going. So, so this is Romans 7. Listen to this. Right, you got to love Paul. Romans 7, 14. The trouble is not with the law, for it's spiritual and good. The trouble, he says, is with me, for I am all too human a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what's right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I am not the one doing wrong. No, no, wrong, it is the sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what's good, but I don't. I don't want to do what's wrong, but I do it anyways. Anybody ever feel that way? If you don't, we're not the church for you. But, but if you do, but if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing the wrong. It's the sin that is living in me that does it. I have discovered this principle of life that when I want to do what is wrong, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all of my heart. But there is another power within me that is at war with my mind, and this power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person that I am who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death. Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you see how it is in my mind. I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. Come on, praise God that the book of Romans did not stop at chapter 7. And what we forget is that when Paul wrote this, it wasn't in chapters and verses. It was a letter. And we forget that the beginning of 8 is really the end of 7. Paul isn't leaving a thought and picking up with a new thought. It's the same thought. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Even though those words describe us. Because you belong to him, here it comes. The power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Let me read that again. Because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Paul is saying at the end of 7, even though this for many of us 
is the reality of our every day, it does not have to be. Even though many days we feel like no matter how hard I try, I just keep doing this stuff I'm not supposed to do. What's wrong with me? Paul says you don't have to. We, we find ourselves in these stuck in shame and, and regret because we keep not doing the things that we should and doing the things that we should. And Paul says, hey, we get it. We've all been there before. But you don't have to stay there. Because when you make a vow of devotion to Christ, the power of God is at work inside of you and is greater than the power of sin that's a part of our humanity. That's why eventually when you get to Romans 8, there's the great declaration, greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. Paul is trying to help us understand that he knows what it's like because he's been there before. And some of you know what it's like because you're there now. And God is saying to you, stop being a victim to your humanity and begin to lean on the power of God. He can get you over the tightrope of temptation when it comes. He can do it, and he'll do it every time. Part of enduring the temptation that's waiting for you in your future is the prayer that you pray today. It's declaring over yourself, I'm not doing that tomorrow. When that temptation comes, Satan, I'm not going to do it. I, I'm just, in the name of Jesus right now, I'm just praying over my tomorrow. Hey, you pray over your next week. You pray over your next month. Pray over your next year. I'm a new person. The power of God is in something, right? These are the kinds of prayers. These aren't supplication prayers. These are declaration prayers. And it might be the church that you grew up in only taught you about supplication. And this is a huge part of prayer. Don't stop asking God for stuff because that's an important part of prayer, right? That's where Paul gets to in the, in, when he's writing the letter to the the church of Philippi. He talks about this idea of supplication and, 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 and how there's a peace that, that comes to us when we rest in knowing that God's going to always be our provider. But, but here you see, Paul's talking about declaration. You and I have to be willing to make declarations over our future so that we can stop being a victim to the same sin that entangles us day in and day out. For some of you here, you've not leveraged the power of prayer to the degree that you can so that you are able to resist what's waiting for you in your tomorrows. A spiritual supply depot. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. There's a reason why when the disciples came to Jesus and said, teach us to pray, he began with declaration before he got to supplication. Because he understood that reciprocity is a huge part of this journey of prayer for us. Amen? All right. Welcome to our welcome weekend. Matthew 13, 52. Matthew 13, 52. I'm going to read this out of the New American Standard. Welcome weekends are important to us because we, we know that people who are looking for a church home, that this is a big decision for people. And, and it's important to understand who, who are churches and what's their culture and how are they structured and, and, and what's the, what's, what's it, what, what are they expected of the leaders and how do people get to be leaders and can I trust them, right? Because we're all strangers to you when, you when you first come in. And so welcome weekends are strategically placed all throughout our year just where we, where we pause and just talk about this is who we are because we have visitors that are coming in 
all the time. Usually our welcome weekends will be two weekends back to back and then we launch right into what we call Discovering City Life, which is a class that Vanessa teaches that you would go to during the sermon. That way you've got nursery support, you don't have to get out for a, an extra week, but because of the way the calendar is working, they're, they're kind of broken up. So, so tonight is still serving as a welcome weekend for us, but then Steve's going to preach next weekend because we're going to be in Williamsburg celebrating with Pastor Jamie, and then we come back for Father's Day weekend, uh, and, and then the weekend after that is, is going to be the, uh, the, no, the June 10th is going to be a welcome weekend, and then we have Dis- uh, Father's Day weekend on the 17th, and then we'll pick up with Discovering City Life. So it, it's, it's a little bit broken up. So the best way to deal with it is just make sure you're here for the next month and everything will be okay. <laughs> oh. City Life, why are we called City Life? Because we feel like God's called us to bring a message of life to the city that we call home. Whatever campus is going to be planted in our future, the cities in this region, as we talked about last week, God is clarifying our a region of ministry. That's the seven cities, Hampton Roads. That's where we're going to be focusing for the foreseeable future. All of those campuses will be called City Life. Like This is City Life Newport News, City Life Suffolk. There's going to be City Life all throughout the seven cities. It's called City Life because we want to bring the message of life of Jesus Christ to the city that we call home. In this verse here in Matthew 13, 52, it's a cornerstone for us as a church. We've been using this verse to help speak to who we are as a congregation for many years. And I'm going to read it out of the New American Standard because there's a degree of specificity that the NASB brings to certain texts. And this one said, And Jesus said to them, Therefore every scribe who has become a disciple, this is the... One of the most important things that you're going to learn about city life, we believe in the experience of discipleship. We like this phrase, we're going to make your soul sweat. All of us are on a journey where we're preparing for the conversation that we're going to have with Jesus after we breathe our last breath, and he's going to talk to us about how we lived our life, and we want to be a church that gets you ready for that conversation. That's why this series that we're in, again, that we're pushing the pause button on for these welcome weekends, but in this series, we're going to probably be in it all the way through the summer. It could be for the rest of the year, talking about let's practice this idea of this journey of discipleship and what that means for us. Jesus went on to say, a disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like the head of a household. We're not going to get to this one in this series of Welcome Weekends, but we'll talk about it at some point in the future, but it's in our podcast, and if you want to hear it, we can help you figure out where that is, but this is part of the culture of City Life Church. Everybody's an owner here. Everybody should have a sense of, this is my church. This isn't just the church that you attend that's the responsibility of the leaders. We all have a collective sense of ownership here at City Life. Everybody is a head of a household here at City Life. But the focus of this welcome weekend, which we might do one of them tonight, we'll see, is this phrase of who brings out of his treasures things new and old. There's a truth that's in this one little phrase that that too many churches have lost that as a church here at City Life, we want to make sure that we are always going to champion. There's a difference between old treasures and new treasures. It's interesting that the treasures that this person brings out are both called treasures. But it's interesting that some are called new and some are called old. And we believe that what Jesus was trying to say to spiritual communities is that there are things that you're going to value that you're going to value forever. That culture might change, times might change, there's always going to be change 
but old treasures are things that are going to be a part of who you are and define you until the world comes to an end. New treasures are things that you're supposed to treasure for a time and a season because they serve a purpose in the moment, but they're not supposed to be treasures forever. And and the mistake that many churches make is that they make new treasures, old treasures, and then all of a sudden they stop becoming treasures to everybody else and they just become old. One of the ways that you can discern between an old treasure and a new treasure is that an old treasure that's supposed to be an old treasure will give life to every generation for all time. It will give life to every generation for all time. One of the ways that you can know that it's a new treasure that's become an old treasure that wasn't supposed to is that it begins to serve only one generation and sometimes at the exclusion and the expense of everyone else. It doesn't mean that it's not supposed to be a treasure for a time and a season, but at some point, it's not supposed to be in the treasury anymore. And you move on to other new treasures. But it's the old treasures that anchor you. We have lots of old treasures here at City Life, but we have three that we've been talking about for 10 years. The first one is God is good. The second one is that you matter. And the third is that church rocks. And there's a play on words there that we're going to get to in a couple of weeks. If Jesus does not come back for a thousand years, and by God's grace, if there are still City Life campuses all throughout this region, there are going to be people talking about the goodness of God, the potential of people, and the centrality of church. If we do our job right, we're going to give these treasures to the generation that comes behind us, and they're going to champion, and they're going to celebrate them, right? And then they're going to give it to the next generation and the next generation. One of the reasons why we lose our voice of influence in the next generation when we're trying to give them the old treasures that they're supposed to keep is that we're also trying to force upon them the new treasures that are not supposed to be treasures for them. They were treasures for our generation, and it develops a sense of distrust, and then they don't want to receive any anything. We do the old treasures a disservice by diluting them with the things that are just supposed to be new. Church leaders of every generation have got to understand the difference between those two, which is why Jesus put it in this text. He's saying, hey, you can be a church that's all about discipleship. Good for you. You, you can be a church that's, that's all about this idea of, of, of everybody has a sense of ownership. Good for you. You go get it. But if you don't understand the difference between old and new treasures, it's going to undermine all those other things that you're doing well. I'll give you a, a new treasure. When your church meets for services. It's not Sunday, people. Right? Saturday, right? It's a treasure for us now. What matters to us as the old treasure is that we get together. Now, I think Saturday's going to be a part of us for the, forever, but we don't know that. That's not what the treasure is. The treasure is, is that we gather. When it happens, these songs that we just sang, were they not incredible? Okay, if we're singing those songs 10 years from now, something's gone terribly wrong, right? 
You might be leaving here and saying, I don't even know if I can go back to that church. They're just, they're, they're way out there when it comes to worship. Yeah, I, I get it. But 10 years from now, that's, this isn't way out there, it's way back here. Right? What the songs are, that's the new treasure. The old treasure, that's worship. The old treasure is that we're going to stand together corporately every week and sing our praise to God because his glory demands it and spiritually something inside of me is desperate for it. Right? There's all kinds of treasures. The kind of chair that you sit in, the, 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 right, the, the, the building itself and what it looks like on the inside. We, we want to believe in excellence and safety and cleanliness, all of those things. I get that. But stylistically, stylistically, those things have to come and go. If you attach yourself to a treasure that is new, sometimes you have a hard time when it stops being a treasure. But the problem is not with the, devalue, the devaluation of something. The problem is that you've put a value on it that it doesn't belong. And this shifting that is supposed to happen in churches all the time, which is why we talk about it so often here, is that we want you to know there's going to be all kinds of change here forever at City Life with the things that are new. But with the things that are old, they're going to be anchors for us. And one of these anchors, it's that God is good. Psalm 27, 13, which is a life verse for me in the New King James Version, it says, I would have lost heart if I had not believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I would have lost heart if I had not believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. The goodness of God is foundational here at City Life, and we're going to be talking about the goodness of God as long as we have breath. He, he's good for lots of reasons, but I just I want to give you three briefly. One, one reason he's good is because he always has your best interest at heart. There is never a circumstance in a situation where God chooses to do something that's not in your best interest. And because he's perfect, he can do that. All of us find ourselves at times in situations in our lives where we're in a competing moment, maybe even with someone that we care about and someone that we love, and someone has to choose to make a sacrifice for the sake of another. In human relationships, it's hard for us to always have the best interest of someone all the time because selfishness might creep in. Or sometimes it doesn't have anything to do with selfishness. It just has to do with the fact that what both people need, time and space and resources, cannot accommodate them. And someone has to give something up. God has no limits. He always has your best interest at heart. Now you might say, well... You don't know the kind of sacrifices he's asking me to make. And what I would say is if he's asking you to make sacrifices, it's because it's in your best interest. Everything that he asks us, it's for our good. All the time. Every situation. When you're buying a house, right, at some point you find yourself with this revelation that you have a competing interest. You want to pay less, they want you to pay more. Somebody's got to give. Have you ever done any car shopping? They want you to pay more, you want to pay less. You can just keep going on in your relationship with God. Every minute of every day for your entire existence, he always has your best interest at heart. That's why the Lord's Prayer starts with our Father. It's to speak to us about the heart that God has towards us. 
And this is one of the reasons that it makes him so good. There is never a circumstance or a situation where he does not have your best interest in mind. He's generous with his presence. He's good because he always has your best interest at heart. He's good because he's generous with his presence. Genesis 8. Genesis 3, 8 through 10. When the cool of the evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden, so they hid from the Lord God among the trees. And then the Lord called to man, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden. I hid because I was afraid because I was naked. Now many of you are familiar with the story, but this is when Adam and Eve committed the first sin of any human being on earth. What's the first thing that they did? They, they hid from his presence. How did God respond? He chased them. He chased after them. Who's the person that you don't like to be around? Right? If you don't have anybody, then you might be that person. (laughs) Right? We all have people. That there's times where we're like, oh, sweet Jesus. But you're married. No, I'm just kidding. There is never a time in your life where God doesn't want to be with you. Not ever. There's times when we're tired. It has nothing to do with the people, right? Sometimes we're just tired. We just have to, right? There's times where we're just worn out. You love your kids to death, but sometimes you just need a break. Moms of young kids, if you're not giving yourself a break, you're you're doing yourself and your family a disservice, right? You need time to yourself. We can just go on and on and on and on down the list. There's God never needs a break from us. He pursues us. He's generous with his time. He will spend as much time with you as you will give him. He's never going to say, okay, that's enough. Boundaries. He's not going to have that conversation with you. The only time that God withdraws his presence from us, the Bible says, is when we're in such a state of rebellion that he's trying to bring us to our desperation revelation. And when we get there, he's right back in. Because he always has your best interest at heart. He's generous with his presence. I'm not going to read them for the sake of time, but I'm going to give them to you. And you can always download these notes every week on our website in the days following our Saturday service. But in Luke 15, 3 through 10, you get the stories of the lost parable. You get the lost sheep, you get the lost coin, and you get the lost son. The first two parables, and we're not going to get into it in great detail tonight. There's a reason why the third one is different from the first two. But in the first two, this is the picture of God chasing us down. He wants to be with us. Even when we're running in the opposite direction, he's chasing us down because he's generous with his presence. He always wants to be with us. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weakness, for he faced all the same testings that we did. Speaking of Christ, he lived through Romans 7 and never made a mistake. Yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it the most we got to stop running from the one who wants to spend time with us. He's pursuing you. He's pursuing me. He's generous with his presence. We've got to start being generous with our presence in turn. 
Psalm 26, 8. I love your sanctuary, Lord, the place where your glorious presence dwells. For some of you, you don't come into this room like this enough, and you're denying yourself the power of being awakened to the presence of God that can only come in corporate settings. You can experience God's presence by yourself, and I trust that you are. But there is an experience with him that you only have in settings like this, and you're desperate for it. Be generous with your presence to God as he is with you. He's good because he always has my best interest at heart. He's good because he's generous with his presence. He's good because he's always speaking words of life over you. Always. He's always speaking words of life. This is an important phrase for us because when our kids were little, a big part of our parenting was words of life. Derek didn't know I was going to be talking about this, and, and so just at the dinner table, it was just the other night, we were joking around and teasing, and Derek was, you know, because now when they're teenagers, right, then they make fun of how you raise them, but they're going to get their own one day, I'm just saying, because one day they're going to have kids, right? This is part of reciprocity. So anyways, so, so, so he, he, was, he said, you know, mockingly at the table, words of life, and I think, you know, Vanessa would throw out that we had gang signs for parents, part of our parenting, because this way, you got to have signs as a parent. Because if your kids are across the room, you got to throw some stuff up to let them know, I'm giving you instruction. But I'm protecting your dignity in public right now, right? You're riding in the car, and right? You're, you're on the phone, and kids are doing something they're not supposed to do, right? Words of life. Stop saying that to your sister, right? Words of life. God only ever speaks words of life over you. And if it doesn't feel like words of life, it's because he's calling stuff out of you that needs to be dealt with. If it doesn't feel like words of life, it's because he's trying to dispel some things that are a part of you that need to be eradicated. He always has your best interests at heart. He's generous with his, with his presence. And he only ever speaks words of life over you. You ever had somebody and you found, you thought they were a friend, but then you learned that they were saying things about you behind your back, right? It cuts deep. We've all been there. God's never going to do that. If he's got stuff to say to you, he's going to say it to you. And if he tells it to somebody else, it's because you've been ignoring him, and so he's sending them in to deal with you, right? It's called prophecy. 1 Corinthians 12. Yeah. I remember those years being scared to death to come into church because I knew there was stuff in my life. Yep. Psalm 29, 3 through 9. The voice of the Lord echoes above the sea. The God of glory thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty sea, and the voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord splits the mighty cedars, and the Lord shatters the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon's mountains skip like a calf. He makes Mount Hermon leap like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord strikes with bolts of lightning. The voice of the Lord makes the barren wilderness quake. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord twists mighty oaks and strips the forest bare in his temple. Everyone shouts, glory! That's the voice that God uses to speak words of life over you. He doesn't whisper it. He's not ashamed of it. He wants the world to know that you are his and that you matter to him. 
And with a voice that is this loud, and with a voice that is this powerful, he is speaking and declaring his love for you throughout the universe. Psalm 50, 1 through 6. The Lord, the mighty one, is God, and he has spoken. He has summoned all humanity from where the sun rises to where it sets. From Mount Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines his glorious radiance. Our God approaches, and he is not silent. Fire devours everything in his way, and a great storm rages around him. He calls on the heavens above and the earth below to witness the judgment of his people. Bring my faithful people to me and those who made a covenant with me by giving sacrifices. And let the heavens proclaim his justice, for God himself will be the judge. Selah. Your daughter's in the Bible. Right there. I know. If your Bible says that that's a music, musical interlude, that might be a part of it, but that's so secondary. It's really that verse, that word Selah, it means you've just heard something so deep, you just have to stop and pause and think about just what happened. Right? We know that because in Psalm 1, it talks about right, this idea of meditating on God's word day and night. And so these moments where it says interlude in the New Living Translation, but it really should say Selah, which is the Hebrew word, which means, all right, stop now and do what Psalm 1 just told you, meditate on what you just heard. Sometimes these ideas in Scripture are so big, it's hard for our humanity to swallow it. It's like we've taken a bite that we just can't swallow. And we just keep chewing and chewing and chewing and chewing. But you've got to keep chewing on it because it's going to nourish your soul. With this voice that is this loud, he, speak word, he speaks words of life over you. Again and again and again. John 10, 3 through 5. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep recognize his voice, and they come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And after he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them, and they follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger, they will run from him because they don't know his voice. Hannah was telling me the other day that Selah, one of her favorite stuffed animals, is this little sheep. And, she, you know, she, like many little children, names her, her, her stuffed animals. And so she named her sheep Fred. <laughs> so Hannah's telling me the story, kind of laughing. I said, well, of course she did because she recognizes the shepherding presence that I am in her life. I mean, come on. Well, I, I don't understand why you couldn't figure that out. Yeah. John 10 is so powerful. It's out of John 10.10. 10. It's another sermon for another time. But th this is, th this, that's the verse that was the springboard when we moved here back in 2007 that eventually became the message of this church, heaven now, heaven forever. Because eternal life isn't just measured on the time continuum. It's measured on the depth continuum. Jesus wants you to have life to the full now, today. John 10 is so powerful because it tells us these three things about God, this, this imagery of the shepherd. He always has your best interest at heart. He always has your best interest at heart. He's generous with his presence, and he's always speaking words of life over you. His role in your life is caring for you. And he will do whatever it takes to stand in the way of all danger that would come your way. Our problem is, is that we just keep running out of the pen. Our problem is we just keep following after these voices that we're not supposed to pursue. 
there is a revelation of the goodness of God that all of us need to have. It's an old treasure here at City Life. And I'm just telling you, once you grab a hold of this revelation of the goodness of God, so much of the temptation that you struggle with right now, it falls away. Because you realize that it has nothing it has nothing to offer in comparison to the love that the creator of the universe has for you. It was a turning point for me back in 1990 when, when, when I was just living an ugly life as a young adult and selfish and hedonism. And, and I came to this verse in John 10.10 where Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it to the fullest possible measure. I had, a, I had an epiphany. I had a revelation of the goodness of God. And I realized that I had been settling for less for far too long. For some of you, you got to get this revelation of the goodness of God. And I'm just, when you get this revelation of the goodness of God, you, you want to talk about someone who then begins to have a, a prayer life that's, that's, that's declaring things into your future. You put those two things together, look out. You're blazing a trail. For some of you, you're struggling too much with the things that you should have already overcome. And it's just this one simple thought that's going to set you free. That God is good. He's good. And whatever you're holding that keeps you from holding him, you just drop it because it doesn't matter anymore. Because you want to make as much room in your life for this one that loves you with an indescribable love. You can invite the worship team to come back up and we're going to close with a song. Listen to these two things. This is really the second, one of the second old treasures, but I, I still feel like somebody here need, tonight needs to hear this. You matter long before you do anything that matters. To God, you matter long before you do anything that matters. The second is this. Your reputation with God is based on your future and not your past. Your reputation with God is based on your future, not your past. I was running down the road this week, and my phone rings, and it's a number I don't, don't recognize. And, and because uh, this, this is the only number I, I, I use, and we, we give it out liberally, it's, 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 the, it's the same number that you would use if you want to get in touch with me. And so, obviously, I don't have everybody in my caller ID, so I know that I get, I get calls from people all the time from places I don't recognize. And so I, I tend to have, you know, tend to answer the phone because it might be one of you trying to get a hold of me and so you know I answer the phone Pastor Fred and then right away someone launches in you know this call could be recorded and 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 uh we're a paid debt collector and and uh and and and, and I'm thinking good what in the world they've got the wrong number right and, the, and, and they say, this is the, we, we're, we were hired by Hampton Road Sanitation Department, right, HRSD. If you live here, right, you, we all pay bills to them. And, uh, and they said, you have an unpaid debt from, from back in 2012, and it's for $37.50. And, of course, the first thing I'm thinking is, this is why government is failing. Because they're paying this debt collector hundreds of dollars to collect $37.50. When they have my phone number and address, they could have just called, right? I was laughing. And I was like, I don't, this isn't even my, I, I, we don't even owe any money. 
I pay this bill every, so it turns out it's a much longer story. If you know our journey with that townhouse that we used to own that was built with toxic Chinese drywall that we ended up having to abandon, something happened when that short sold in the, in the closing where that bill didn't get paid. And, and of course, you know, now it's, it's, it's 2017. You're talking to me about $37.50. I'm, I'm just dying. They start laughing. I'm laughing. I called Hampton Road Sanitation and we checked the closing dial. I was like, hey, if we owe this money, we're going to pay you, right? I'm telling you that story because some of you, you live in spiritual fear because of mistakes that you've made in your past. And you have this feeling that there's like a spiritual debt collector is going to show up at your house and hold you account for all that you've done. That's why Jesus died on the cross, to pay the price for every debt that you and I owe from the sin that so easily entangles us. At some point, if you've made a vow of devotion to Christ, sure, sometimes, given the kind of mistake that you make, right, because of reciprocity, there's things that you've got to work through. And if that's you, then we can talk to you about that. That's, that's a different thing. The thing I'm talking about is the shame that you live in because of your past. Jesus paid that debt for you so that you can be free. You can be free. So as we stand in worship, I want you, if you're here tonight, I have such a sense that someone's here, and you've been struggling with shame because of things of your past, as we sing this song, you just need to keep whispering to yourself, Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid it all. You need to start speaking some words of life over you. And the freedom that comes when you realize that he has paid every debt that you owe from every mistake that you've made. Stand with me. Father, for the people that are here tonight that, that, that needed some questions answered about prayer, Father, we pray that this week is going to look different than any week that they've lived in a long time where they begin to put some spiritual supply depots into the future. For the person that's here that's asking some questions about city life, Father, if we're not what they're looking for, Father, I hope they don't leave frustrated, but they leave that they leave inspired to go find the community that they're supposed to be a part of because you don't want any of us to live as spiritual orphans. And the person that's here that's struggling and wrestling with shame, I pray, Father, that they would have a revelation of your goodness and that, Jesus, you paid every price for them so that they could walk in the freedom of their tomorrows with their head held high. In Jesus' name, come on, let's worship together.